HR, the second episode for Twin Cities Sherm Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I am Jesse Novi, an HR business partner with CH Robinson and a board member with Twin Cities Sherm. I live in Minneapolis with my daughter and husband, and I am incredibly passionate about all things HR. But I find myself the most energized when I am able to roll up my sleeves and dive into projects that are focused on learning and development, leadership development, and organizational effectiveness. I'm excited, as always, to be joined with my co-host, Mike. Mike, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hey guys, I'm Mike Toole. I'm a Twin Cities Sherm board member and an HR technology consultant for SAP SuccessFactors, father of three, and I live in Lakeville, Minnesota with my wife. Awesome. So we have several exciting events that are coming up with Twin Cities Sherm during the month of October. Uh, First, I want to highlight our October 10th event. We're holding our October 9 Networking Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. The program is based on an award-winning book called The 20-Minute Networking Meeting, and the presenter is Marcia Ballinger, who is a longtime Twin Cities executive search leader. And on October 16th, we have our monthly webinar. Um, That month, we'll cover key updates from the past year in employment law that will impact your business heading into 2020. Jessica Bradley and Emily McNee from Littler Mendelssohn will be presenting. And then finally, on October 28th, we're holding our fall student event. This is an opportunity for HR students to gain valuable knowledge, enhance their professional reputation, and network with local HR professionals and students. Our keynote speaker, is Heidi Height, talent brand leader at Polaris. She will be speaking about branding yourself before, during, and after an interview. All right, Mike and I are super excited to be joined by Megan Chung, Vice President of People at Drip, as well as John Tedesco. CEO at Drip. To introduce our two podcast interviewees today, um, Megan is is currently the VP of People at Drip. Drip is the world's first e-commerce CRM. Drip is the first platform focused on helping online brands build better experiences for their customers at scale. They're putting resources historically reserved for the biggest enterprises smack dab in the hands of smaller teams with big dreams. This gives specialty brands an opportunity to thrive instead of getting swallowed up and spit out by e-commerce giants. I love this, Megan. This is the best bio. Drip is well-funded, growing fast, and building a better product with every new day and has offices in both Minneapolis, Minnesota, as well as Salt Lake City, Utah. Megan graduated from the University of Minnesota Carlson School of Management with her degree in HR management. She has over 17 years of HR experience beginning at Navarre Corporation, where she was from 2002 until 2012. As a lifelong learner, she went back to school during her tenure with Navarre and got an MBA at the University of St. Thomas. Before starting at Drip, she worked at Angie's Boom Chicka Pop as the VP of HR. As a private equity-backed business, Megan's main focus at Angie's was building organizational capabilities as the company scaled for growth as an eventually and eventual and an eventual sale at ConAgra Brands in 2017. Before Angie, she was 
or before Angie's, excuse me, she was the director of HR Small Business Services at Deluxe Corporation from 2012 until 2016. While there, she led the development and execution of HR plans, heavily focused on growth through acquisitions within the Small Business Services Division. Megan thrives in hyper-growth, small to mid-sized companies where she can wear many hats and make a direct impact on the success of the business through its people. Megan and her husband, Vin, and kids, Addison and Gavin, live in Maple Grove. And in her personal time, she loves cheering on her kids' activities and spending time with family and friends. All right, for John today, we're going to be referring to John as JT, but for the purposes of being a little bit more formal during John's bio today, we'll refer to him as his formal name, John Tedesco. So for the past two de decades, John Tedesco has immersed himself in all things early stage tech. During the first half of his career, John founded and led three venture-backed software companies as CEO. Since then, he has served as a C-level executive, board member, investor, and advisor for over a dozen other technology companies across U.S. and Canada. John currently serves as the CEO of Drip, a first-of-its-kind e-commerce CRM that helps online brands grow their loyal customer base. Drip has over 100 employees and 7,000 customers across the globe. Drip's distribution of the marketing technology sector isn't going unnoticed, having recently been awarded spots in the top 50 fastest growing products and top 50 best products for marketers of 2019 by G2 Crowd. John also sits on the board of directors for Minneapolis-based When I Work, the market-leading SaaS platform for hourly workforce scheduling and time tracking. He is a pro bono mentor for MESA, which is the Minnesota's emerging software advisory group, and is a mentor to students enrolled in entrepreneurial studies at the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Business. John lives in Edina with his wife and two elementary school-aged daughters. Super excited to have you guys here today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, we're excited. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, guys, I'm excited to have this interview. <clears throat> Very impressive bios. Love to hear more about Drip. Love to hear more about HR. And it's a pleasure to have JT here to talk about how the CEO views the HR suite and how that factors into the overall strategy of the business. Easy way to get started. Tell the listeners a little bit about your daily habits, uh, whether it's daily, weekly. You know, Tell us what, what makes you guys tick and how you guys start off your days. Yeah. For me, for Daily Habits, uh, it's all about uh, spending time with myself. And so for me, when I wake up, I wake up early in the morning so that I can get me time. I've got a 10 and an 8-year-old, um, and so I don't get a lot of that uh, very often. And so I get up, and I usually read, um, and then I uh, am a huge coffee lover, and so I do that. Uh, and then um, and then it's getting ready. So for me, recently I started uh, meditating, actually. And so I use an app called Headspace, um, and I normally do that uh, uh, on a at least uh, regular basis, so daily, if not more, um, for me. Great. That's that's the second person actually in two episodes that mentioned meditation with Headspace. So um, we should charge them for the advertising. Yeah. <laughs> JT, how about you? Yeah. yeah, I think uh, you know. Also, the father of a two, ten-year-old uh, and an eight-year-old. Um, you know, I'd like to pretend that I meditate, and if I do it, I do it more so at night, which leads, leads directly to sleep. Um, but I think for me, you know, starting up early, definitely early morning rise, and I think one of the, I think the key thing for me is 
uh, physical activity, so getting the exercise. So whether it's before work and or during work, I think one of the habits that Megan and I participate that we're fortunate to have is that we have a gym in our building, and so there's a crew of us that go down every day right before lunch, and we do a kettlebell or CrossFit workout, and that's good team bonding, but it also obviously clears the head. So physical exercise, I think, at the end of the day is the most important thing for my state of mind. Uh, quite, you know, quite frankly, absolutely. Um, so I wanted to get into drip, and uh, you know, before we do, can you give us an overview of drip, the history, how it came to be? So I think you did a good job covering drip in the bio uh, uh, up front, but just to summarize, so drip helps e-commerce brands build their loyal customer base. Uh, there's a proliferation of uh, direct-to-consumer brands that's being made possible, so pretty much any good or product is available online today. And what we do is we help those brands uh, really market themselves uh, uh, to their audiences and build that uh, loyalty over time. And we do that uh, with a cloud-based software platform, which we call an e-commerce CRM. And what that does is that brings a single view of all the customer data and then it informs the merchant and the retailer on how to use that data to communicate uh, with their customers based on where they are in that customer journey um, uh, between the you know the customer and the brand themselves. Uh, it was founded, Drip was, in 2013. It moved to Minneapolis in 2016, and really since that move has had pretty explosive growth. Uh, we have over 7,000 customers around the globe. And uh, we're generating hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue for those merchants. So uh, we're really excited. It's really what we call the top of the first inning in terms of the market and the business. Mm -hmm. But um, super excited about where we are in this overall market opportunity. Right. So, I mean, this is an HR podcast. So, you know, obviously our listeners want to understand from a CEO's perspective how HR plays into the strategy and vision of the company. Startups have kind of been known for having unique cultures, and that's so important. But I think as as we talked to Angie last uh, last episode, it's, it's not just startups that care about their culture. Um, it's, it's everybody, and companies are starting to identify that this is a huge competitive differentiator. Talk to us a little bit, JT, about how... HR and Megan, how they tie into the overall strategy of the business um, and how important it is for them to execute on that. Yeah, so I think it's hard uh, not to, at a startup, uh, think about people at the end of the day. So let's move it away from HR, which is kind of like this bureaucratic functional term and more like people. And people are what startups you know, are all about really at the earliest stages. And of course, people is important through every stage of, uh, of a business life cycle. But um, the importance around the people you get uh, onto, uh, our metaphor is a crew boat, but the people onto the team early on are, are critical to its success. And so we think about the business, this concept of machines. There's four machines in our business, product machine, customer machine, company machine, and the people machine. And really, people is uh, you know equal to all of those other parts of the business conceptually. And I think uh, the best startups in, in my career, you know, which has gone for a couple of decades now, how early they brought in a senior uh, people person has really uh, set the course in terms of a trajectory for those businesses. Um, I find it just ultimately interwoven uh, to the uh, success of the business at such an early stage. How big was Drip when, Megan, when you came, came on board? Yeah, I think when I started, we had 80 employees, I want to say. Um, 
yeah, yeah. that's about 80, under yeah. 100. Because I thought, I mean, that was really interesting what you said about um, how important it is to bring people person on early. Uh, is there a certain point within, is it employee count? Is it customer count? Like, when would somebody want to make sure they brought in somebody of a high level into that role? Yeah, that's a great question. Usually it's, you know, starts with the economics. When can you afford someone of the right, right level and the right skills? Uh, but I'd say the best companies are adding uh, a senior leader of people starting from the 20 plus range. Uh, and they're wearing obviously many hats at that time. They're doing a lot of recruiting. Uh, they're also doing all of the core, you know, kind of traditional HR benefits side of the house there. But from 20 to 30 on, uh, that's when um, that's when the culture is really being formed. Uh, and it is, um, I don't think that's too early in terms of like an economic investment. Uh, again, all down to the right person for sure. And you have a history, JT, of, of being with startups. Um, something specific to startups that you're drawn to? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, personally, um, I love the disruption that, uh, you know, at least early stage technology startups uh, bring to markets. Um, they take these state industries, generally speaking, and look at them from a different angle using technology and most times helping the customer experience be better. And so those things just naturally gravitate uh, that disruption. I just love that disruption. Mm -hmm. And then I love the uh, the concept of, you know, your effort is is uh, demonstrated in the results of a business. So, uh, you know, what you do is showing up every day versus being in a larger company where uh, you're, you're kind of buried sometimes uh, in the organizational structure uh, due to size, the normal kind of the reasons there. So I just love kind of living on that, on that efficient frontier curve between effort and results. Is, is that similar for you, Megan? You came from Angie's, which I think a lot of people in the state, you know, uh, know that company pretty well. Um, talk a little bit about the transition from a larger company into a startup. Have you been in startups before? So this is my first tech startup, and I would say that um, the the difference in Angie's, my experience at Angie's, is um, we were we were a founder based organization, but we were private equity backed, and so a little bit different model um, in in timeline, if you will, um, but still had the spirit of our founders um, Dan and Angie Bastian, like through and through, which was an important um, hallmark, I think, that I continued to kind of carry uh, when I joined the organization when I did, uh, which was a great honor and um, and uh, just a, an amazing experience for me career-wise um, but I think for me personally why um, smaller so I'll, you know startup or, or not startup uh, smaller organizations resonate is I've done the big I've done the midsize uh, and I think what it comes down to is in a smaller organization you just connect um, more uh, you know we talk about at drip we talk about bringing your whole self um, you know in a smaller organization you can connect more and and uh i think deeper at a deeper level than um you know living in a matrix organization where you know you've got multi multi hats multi uh bosses and it's just it's harder to navigate in those size organizations and and um and i just found that i naturally gravitated um towards smaller organizations and that just gave me more energy and and fit was a better fit for me for um my skill set too was there an adjustment period that you had to go through? Yeah, so great question. I think that, you know, 
the, the truth of the matter is in much larger organizations, you have more resources, period, right? You have more people, you have, you just have more, you sometimes have more technology, just you, the enablement of the work that you do every day is different. Um, but I, what I think uh, I love most is coming in and especially at, at Drip is like we're building something. And, and when um, JT talked about earlier about making an impact, and um, like that is every single individual, um, as we talk about on the in the boat, uh, everybody makes an impact every day. And and so for me, coming into an organization this size, just the opportunity to build um, and bring in the experiences, previous experiences, but but even more so, um, you know, it's a different team. And so it's not about you know redoing what you've done before. It's about considering the the team members that are apart and and what are we going to do that's different um so so i love i love small companies and building yeah jg you mentioned earlier that um you know it's a your business is the people that are in it especially within a startup so um talking about the culture and, and either of you can take this one mm -hmm. but a culture fit's really important especially in you know, you don't have, you mentioned resources mm -hmm. as many as a large company. It's not necessarily a plug and play model when, when you're at that size. Mm -hmm. What's a culture for you guys? How do you find it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for for me, first and foremost, to, to answer that question, you got to define what culture is. And I think you can open any textbook and there are like many definitions of culture. And, and um, but for me, I, I like to keep it simple. Uh, it's a way of life. Uh, and so when I think about the way of life in any organization, um, it's from when you walk into the, the building um, to when you leave at night. And quite frankly, um, you continue because now we're connected 24 seven, right? Mm -hmm. Through technology, you continue. And so it, it um, actions and, and interactions with people, decisions, leadership, how leadership models, behaviors, um, how we make decisions as an organization, um, how we celebrate the wins, like all of that um, feeds into the culture that we're building. And I think one of the things that I think is unique at a startup is that it's so raw um, from the standpoint of um, we talk about uh, you can't hide uh, as an organization uh, every individual in in the boat as we say is um, is you know expected to show up um, and so when we talk about what's that cultural fit for us we operate in uh, and have kind of what we call our three guiding principles and and those guiding principles are all around you know what we view as important how we view our our team to show up um, quite frankly, how we make decisions. Uh, and so what those guiding principles are today are uh, growth is our number one uh, guiding, well, not number one, but, it, you know. Yeah, first and foremost. For yeah, sure. first and yeah. foremost, yeah. Um, so growth from that standpoint is all about um, not not only um, growth of the organization, but growth as individuals and, and people who are part of our, our experience and part of DRIP. Um, we absolutely expect that people are growing in the role. Uh, they're getting exposure to, to things that they wouldn't in larger organizations, and so uh, hence they're going to grow. Um, the second kind of guiding principle that we talk a, a lot about is impact. And that is, uh, you know, so people who come into our organization that aren't used to the fact that you can't hide, um, that becomes pretty known known fairly quickly. Uh, and so, you know, we, we talk a lot about there are um, 
problems that we're solving every single day and, and every voice matters and, and every idea counts. And so every individual, no matter what your level or title uh, is in the organization, is making an impact. Uh, and that's a key, key critical piece. And then the last uh, guiding principle is really around fun. And, and we call it fun. And I think uh, for us, it's not about uh, ping pong and, and beer, as, as a lot of startups are known for. It's about um, winning. We talk a lot about celebrating the wins. And I think winning is about the individuals that you're uh, winning with. And so it has more to do with the team and the humans that you get to interact with every day. And, you know, we talk about climbing the mountain and, and um, really wanting to uh, wanting to to enjoy those individuals that you're working with and, and that that uh, we're solving really hard problems with. Uh, and that's fun to us. So, so I think from a culture standpoint, those guiding principles principles are what um, what we talk about from a fit standpoint. You know, is are you can you grow? <laughs> can you make an impact? And are we going to enjoy working with you? Quite frankly, <laughs> um, as a part of the team, because every hire in a small uh, startup in in an organization our size is such an incremental add to to what we're building, and so it's even more important uh, in our size. Absolutely. And and you mentioned growth being kind of a key pillar. Sometimes at startups or smaller companies, that growth track doesn't look the same as it would at, you know, a Fortune 100 company. So are there is there anything that you guys are doing from a career path perspective that gives people... You know, kind of something to aim for beyond what they're doing today. Yeah, so that's a great question, and it's a challenge for us in, in any small organization because for us, for us, what I what I always talk about is it's not necessarily if you're looking for a company to to grow um, in title, um, you know, with multi levels and and you know layered opportunities. Uh, and I think about organizations that you know you're on a track for a promotion like every eighteen months, or right. you're looking for that next. That's not us. <laughs> we're we're fairly flat organization, and that's intentional. Um, and so, what I will say, though, from a career development standpoint, is it's all about the experiences and exposures um, to whether it's uh, challenging problems that you're getting to solve, and you're getting to be a part of that um, at no matter what your level is, or whether it's um, leaders and and being in meetings with senior leaders of the organization and expecting to to speak up and to participate because um, your voice matters, uh, it really matters, um, or whether it's um, just getting exposure to um, you know, customer problems, quite frankly, that, uh, that you might not get in a much larger organization because you're focused on your whatever your little piece of the pie is, right. not necessarily the overarching um, customer experience. And so, so do we have traditional um, you know, career path tracks? Um, no. Um, do I think we have an opportunity to bring some of that? Like I say, light? Yeah, probably we do. Um, but at the end of the day, what, what differentiates, I think, um, the individuals in a startup from a much larger organization is um, we expect people to come with uh, you know, their own energy around career development, and we will enable the heck out of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we do not spoon feed uh, the, the development um, programs, if you will, that much larger organizations like just have a plethora of resources for. So you so. give them the ability to, to build their own path, essentially. Yes. You know, there's going to be roles that they may be interested in that don't exist today. Yes. Um, that's great. Thank you. JT, you want to add to that? Yeah. So there's a couple of things. I think um, uh, there's uh, a term that they say if you're coming to a startup for kind of career planning or career development, you're coming to the wrong place. And I think what they mean by that is 
you're in an environment where the growth opportunities by default exist because the company is um, uh, you know changing every day there are you know generally new f you know no formal policies procedures or ways of doing things and because you are generally if you're growing fast the things that you did rely on constantly change so by default there's that growth piece so while there's not formal career progression, uh, the uh, ability to continue to take on more responsibility and learn are generally endless. And so our best performers are people who are um, um, always asking for more, searching for more, and uh, are proactive in doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, it reminds me, I started my career in large corporate America starting at GE in their management training program. And uh, back when GE was a decent company, it's gone. It's changed a lot since then. But uh, um, but I always there was this one in particularly sarcastic leader. But he sat down this kind of the the you know the uh, new crop of people, and uh, he gave us some career advice that has stayed with me since. And it's I think particularly apropos for early stage startups. But he said, uh, do not um, wait for the. Um, the clouds to part in the sky and this plunger to come down on your forehead and pull you through your career development. You know, you have to make your own career development. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is for sure the case uh, in a startup. You know, there is no formal program. And if we actually have one, that's probably not a good thing, quite frankly, to be honest with you. So, um, however, if you want to learn, you have that growth DNA, that DNA of learning. Um, you're not afraid to uh, take on more. You're going to stretch yourself. You're going to work harder. The, you know, the, the, uh, it's pretty uh, limitless in terms mm -hmm. of where you can go. And we are seeing and doing, uh, we're at a stage now with over 100 employees and uh, being around for a number of years. Some of our best people are swapping functional areas and they're moving from uh, one function to another just to get greater exposure. And that is a, that's a, that is an amazing thing to have that ability to do that in an environment where it's okay, and if you actually don't succeed there, it's not going to be catastrophic. So we're allowing you to to take that chance and return for the belief that we know that um, you're you're going to really put it all in there to to succeed, and, and that's just a great like that's you couldn't ask for a better uh, sandbox in which to to do right. that, and that's what I think is so amazing about startups. But again, if you're looking for form, formal programming and this is uh, 18 months, et cetera, and you care about titles, generally I'd say startups are not the right place. And, right. This, and again, we're talking not just about drip; we're talking about the world of startups. You're in it for the wrong, you're you're looking for the wrong thing. Right. If you're going to the startup for just title progression and putting a senior in front of your title and being excited versus actually what am I learning how am I better off you know what's truly resumeable at the end of the day absolutely yeah so you've you've had a long track record of success leading these these startups um, and being a leader in other businesses was there a point in your career when you elevated HR kind of in your own mind and and it could have always been that way um, but I think HR is evolving into much more of a strategic role within a business I think CEOs, boards are looking at them more and saying, hey, you guys are a huge pillar to the company. Did that yeah. change with you over the years, or have you always thought? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I, I feel like it's always been there. And um, 
I just, it was like the natural, <laughs> it seemed logical, like you don't overthink it, like, oh boy, I read some HBR article, let me make <laughs> people important. It just seemed like the intuitive right thing to do. And I'd suggest that other startup leaders, uh, you know, we were talking earlier around um, Sports Engine, another local startup uh, that got acquired by NBC a few years ago and is doing phenomenally uh, with over 500 employees. But Justin Koffenberg, the founder, one of the founders and CEO of that company, where I, I did work for a few years, he early on brought on Anna Klombies as VP of HR. And Anna had tremendous success at Big Charts before that, which was another startup that got acquired. And he just, you know, same kind of concept. I don't think he thought, like, I need to get somebody. He just needed a senior people person very right. early. And I think he brought on Anna very, very early in that process, back to that 20 or 30 people. So I think people just, uh, I think good leaders just intuitively get it because it's, you know, it's not because it's some academic article that makes sense or it's trendy and some sort of, uh, it's just the right thing to do because you're in the trenches and you know I need somebody um, there as, as this partner to help with all of that, which is necessary to, mm -hmm. when you get to 20 plus people and 30 plus people. Yeah, if I could double click on that, I think the other thing is is that um, so the reason for me and 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 I think HR in general and, and people leaders, um, the reason that I uh, joined Drip actually was because of JT, um, because I think that uh, the important the difference in leadership and especially in that CEO role and how it important and critical it is uh, for the people leader and the CEO to be really connected is the difference is um, EQ. And we talk a lot about this. And so what I will say, because JT won't say it himself, but he's high IQ, like wicked smart, wicked smart. I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm blushing. And I can't see this. So this is radio only, right? Yeah, right. Okay. And um, he understands from the, the EQ side of the world just how important, no matter what our technology platform is, it's only as powerful as the people that um, you know partner with our customers, solve the problems. It is about the people fundamentally that differentiates uh, Drip from anybody else in the, the marketplace. And so, um, so I think that that is an important differentiator in a CEO to really understand the true value. It is not transactional historic, you know, like mm -hmm. old school HR. Um, it is strategic partnership uh, in uh, in a lot of ways. Oh. And to piggyback off the ITU EQ, you, you, I mean, we're seeing a lot of articles written about it, how important EQ is, uh, almost more so than ITU in, in some situations. Um, are you guys doing anything from a recruitment standpoint to identify both sides of that? And, and what do you put more weight on? Is, is it specific to different roles? Or what's more important to you guys in, in, in a person that comes to drip? Yes. So I think I think... Yes and yes. <laughs> what I would, what I would say is, um, what's really important for us is obviously we screen for um, and we recruit and, and interview for technical skills. Right? We don't have um, we don't have the luxury of having um, uh, you know uh, just fat as an organization. Right? We need people who can do, um, and so so that's important. But I think the differentiator for us is um, we we spend a ton of time talking about from a cultural fit standpoint. Um, and that is really where the EQ side of the world kind of lives is, you know, how, you know, specifically people leaders, like how do you motivate and, um, and ensure that you're getting the right talent onto your team? Um, that's not an HR thing. That's a people leader thing. Um, and so if we're hiring a people
people leader, like they better sure as heck know how to do that and, right. and show us how, you know, talk to us about how they can do that. So I think, you know, hiring and, and, and interviewing for the EQ side is just, it's also has to do with like fundamentally, like we, t I joke, like, what do you like to do for fun? Because guess what? At the end of the day, work is work, but, um, you know, we don't show up just to do the work, right? Like, <laughs> who are you as a human and, and how can we make sure that um, we're connecting with that right. in totality? Um, because we, we expect all of our employees to bring their whole self, as, as I said earlier. Um, and so that makes us richer and makes us better as an organization. Um, that, I think, is, is just as important on the EQ side. Yeah, you know, just piggyback off that. I mean, I think it's an and. And I don't think we have to have, like, an or and the IQ versus EQ kind of piece. We, uh, on the IQ, like, we need people who are, you know, we call it intellectually curious or intellectually agile. You just need to because you're consuming a lot of information um, rapidly. And so how do you evolve and, and incorporate that in every function? So, you, you know... There was a football coach when they were talking about doing the NFL draft, and you know they said you can't teach speed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so you need to have some intellectual horsepower uh, at the end of the day, I think, to be successful in a startup. Uh, but to Megan's point, if if again, you know, um, we'll we'll touch on this a little bit. This concept of a crew boat. Everyone likes to talk about startups as a rocket ship. And, uh, you know, I've written about this a little bit on LinkedIn. The rocket ship metaphor is uh, wickedly flawed. It's this concept of something that's self-propelled that you sit in, get strapped in, and it, you know, and, and it gets transported. And that's not what a startup is. A startup, the better metaphor, we believe, is a crew boat. You got to get your ass in a tiny little seat, <laughs> and you're going to uh, row you know, from head to toe, every muscle in your body is going to be exhausted. And you have to do that in alignment with all the people in front and in back of you. Um, and to do that, you've really got to enjoy the people around you. And so you can't, um, that's where EQ comes in. And again, I think the best companies are those that are customer centric, for lack of a better term, put customers first. And if you don't have empathy for the customer problems, you're not going to build a great product and a great company. So you need empathy to be, um, to survive, I, th I think, as a startup. And so that empathy is not just socially enjoying somebody on this small crew boat, but uh, just really being able to uh, build a cut, you know, a, a, a company that is there to solve customer problems ultimately. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Back in August, uh, I'm talking about the the customer experience, but also the employee experience. Back in August, they had I think there was 200 CEOs signed a letter stating that uh, shareholders are no longer the only thing that we need to care about. Um, employees and customers should actually come first. I think that is relevant in the enterprise space and is relevant in the startup space. So talking about customer and employee talent experience, I mean, you guys are, things are changing all the time. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you're working on from a customer experience side um, as well as talent? Yeah, I think uh, uh, just to, to kick that off too, I think what's important to understand is uh, kind of where we're at from an evolution of a business standpoint and, and what I talk about as um, far as uh, the why, why we're doing what we're doing, but also um, our greater why quest. Sometimes we talk about it as a quest um, as an organization. And, and the reason why I think we're, we're at kind of this uh, transition point and evolution point as a business is because in 2018, um, we rolled out our new brand uh, for Drip. Um, um, it really was focused on uh, building this category, this ECRM category, and um, we've had huge success 
from then. Um, in that success, we've built out a team, uh, a much larger organization. And so um, at the beginning of uh, 2018, you know, we were half the size we are today. We were all located in Minneapolis. Um, so we have since expanded and grown um, double in size. We have two locations now, one in Minneapolis and one in Salt Lake City. Um, and so it's, it's more important, if not more critical now than ever, that we get really crystal clear um, around articulating uh, why drip, um, and that that starts with the customer, um, which JT can talk about. But it, it feeds in, you know, fast follows uh, to the employees um, and the employee experience in, in total. Yeah, so I think uh, you know, on that concept. So what's not changing as we think about this evolution of of how we work at the company? Uh, what's not changing is why we exist. This concept of uh, we're here to help. Uh, these e-commerce brands compete in, um, in in an Amazon-dominated world, and that why is super critical. You know, it was uh, Adam Grant, the Wharton professor, organizational um, behavior professor, uh, was interviewing Malcolm Gladwell um, a while back around Malcolm Gladwell's experience at the Washington Post and what it meant for organizational for organizations in general. And he had this, uh, Malcolm Gladwell did, a super insightful comment. And he was just talking about how an editor at the newspaper got tired of working with the reporter who was great at his craft but couldn't deal with, like, that personality. And Malcolm Gladwell made a comment that it's so interesting how organizations forget about why they exist and who they serve. And there is this concept, as you get, when you're small... And there's like eight people sitting around like a, a table. You're side by side, and this, and you hear the you know CEO, who's usually the salesperson and potentially the coder, also talking to customer prospects on a phone or hearing of a support ticket. You know, everyone understands why you exist because that customer is your survival. And then as you get bigger, you know that nexus to the customer gets further and further away. The only people who actually talk to the customers become customer support personnel or salespeople. And then, you know, the law of large, you know, meetings take over and all the rest. And so I think um, rem remembering why you exist, and it's usually not because of what's inside the building, it's what's going on outside the building. And so for us, this concept of helping um, these e-commerce brands and what we think is going to become a, like the retail landscape is going through this brands versus barcode battle whereby if, if brands don't um, articulate why they exist and build relationships with their customers, their products are going to be commoditized and available on Amazon. That's a pretty stark world. And, and, and for us, helping these brands exist is why we exist. And then that cascades down from there. So first and foremost, if you're not excited about that mission and that purpose as a company, then we are totally not the right place because that's why we exist. And if we're not successful in that mission and that doesn't get you up every day and thinking about those brands and, and the revenue they're generating and the customers they're making happy and the employees that are now being um, or working at these companies, then, then this is totally the wrong place to be. Mm -hmm. So, Megan, I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about kind of your world and being in HR, talking about that we talked a lot about the culture. Who, who owns culture within a startup or really any company? Yeah. Is it HR? Is it everybody? Can you shed some light on your thoughts? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think ultimately, uh, uh, 
it's it's everyone. Uh, everyone impacts culture, and so um, it, it doesn't matter what your level or title or um, or um, responsibilities, roles, responsibilities. Um, everybody impacts it, but I think um, you know it starts at um, the CEO uh, level to kind of set that vision and set the tone. What I like like to call the tone. Um, but then from an HR partnership standpoint and, and people standpoint, we are the champions. So we are the ones that make sure that, um, you know, JT and I spend a lot of time talking about communication. Like, how do we make sure that we're messaging what we want to message through the channels to meet our employees where they need to be met, right? Um, that isn't just a small feat, um, especially uh, in in our size organization that has two locations, right? So we, we, we have to get scrappy and get... And get um, uh, creative with that. Um, so it's about communication. It's about um, thinking about, um, you know, uh, you again, going back to this whole concept of you can't hide in a startup, how we um, onboard uh, employees, how we treat employees through their, uh, their time with us, and how we offboard and exit employees matters. Um, so I think, you know, culture and, and how we show up and how people feel uh, through their experience with Drip every stage of that matters and um, and impacts our culture. So again, going back to, I just view the people team uh, in, in that I get to lead uh, as champions for that um, mm -hmm. in partnership with obviously JT, setting the tone. Yeah, I mean, I wanna add, I think it's um, unfair to put culture on the shoulders of a functional area, um, particularly HR and or an HR leader. I think that's, that concept is just, you know, just not realistic because of, you know, how I show up as a leader, how our leadership team shows up, and then how every individual shows up is what makes the culture there. And so, you know, they might be the champion, uh, the people function, they may be the ombudsman to ensure that, you know, we walk the talk. But in reality, you got to think that the culture is like a garden <laughs> and you're feeding it and then you're also weeding it as well. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if uh, if you're you know if you're authentically not executing on the day to day, it's not the fault of the people team. It's the fault of me. It's the fault of the leaders, and then it's the fault of every individual. Because I think whenever just uh, organizationally, when you centralize something, we see this in other functional areas. For example, like in our engineering team, we don't have a centralized quality assurance focus. Like our engineers are responsible for the quality of their code. When you put something into a separate bucket that it becomes somebody else's responsibility, then you just create organizational crutches. Right. So if you say, oh, culture is a responsibility of uh, you know the people team or whatever, but I'm going to act like a jerk over here, yeah. you know, <laughs> like that's wrong. So I think um, champion, um, uh, a megaphone, an amplifier, uh, obviously the training pieces and obviously an ombudsman to call out our own, you know, when our behaviors don't actually walk the talk, calling us out on that. I think those are all the critical roles of a people leader and or a people function in general. How do you, how do you measure it? Um, is it, I, you know, I walk in the office and I feel good about the way people are acting, how they're talking, you know, there's not a, like, how do you measure culture? I know that, you know, if you take experiences from your past, Mm -hmm. Is there any tangible item that, you know, our listeners can use to find out? Because oftentimes CEOs or, you know, chief people officers, there is an experience gap from there. Like, you know, it yeah. seems great to us. How do you keep turning your finger on the pulse and how do you measure it? Yeah. So, um, you know, 
just kind of two two thoughts on that in the in the sense of I've seen companies you know go down the path of just because of size um, that they have to measure it through engagement surveys, right? Um, I've not ever successfully really seen that done well. Um, and so the the other path that I kind of go down is um, is more around the, um, and this speaks to that the people team doesn't own um, the culture. It's about enabling the leaders to have a really good sense of their people. And so I actually don't look at it as um, something that you can, that I, I want to measure, like put a number to it. Like I know there are sentiment and engagement surveys and, and we love our data. Yeah, we do. Um, but I would say that um, I'd argue that um, are we delivering the results to the customers? Like, are we hitting our targets? Okay. Like, that's one thing. Right. <laughs> and then the other thing is, you know, are we, you know, we can, we can look at other um, other metrics that, that drive, um, that show results. You know, what's our voluntary turnover? Are people leaving the organization? Why are they leaving the organization? Like, let's dig into that and think about the whole life cycle of employment and what are, where are the opportunities there? The other thing, though, that I would say is, um, you know, just from a, you know, one of the things we talk about from an, a powerful um, tool for us is referrals, employer referrals. Like, are people referring their friends? <laughs> That's a great, great sign of whether uh, we're doing something right or not. Um, and we're proud because people do refer their friends uh, because we have an environment that um, people can grow. Again, going back to, you know, kind of our foundation. Um, and I think those are the individuals that stay because, right, what's the what's one of the number one things is do you have a best friend at work? Like, hello, hire my friend. Yeah, I'll stay, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, I think, is an important, uh, and you can't put a number on that, uh, personally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you made some, I mean, it's tough, you know, it's, I'll be like, I'll be the first to admit, like, I'm sure, like, we are, we're, you know, we're, we're not a perfect company by any means. So the reality, <laughs> shocking, <Gosh>. shocking, <laughs> newsflash, <laughs> write this down here. But I mean, you know, I, I think some ways, you know, you talk about, I think, voluntary turnover, referrals, those areas are, are kind of some measurements. I think there's kind of two things that you're looking for. Number one is... Uh, another way to think about culture is authenticity on one kind of spectrum. And the other one is this concept of consistency. Um, I think one way to ask someone is, do you trust your leaders? I think that's the, a core question. And customer, trust in general is a, a core question. Uh, we have it. We think about customer trust. Are we earning customer trust? Do our employees trust leaders? And I think if you don't have trust, then it doesn't matter what you're saying. This goes back to the concept, oh, we have these core values or guiding principles. We put them up on the wall, but the, this is how decisions get made, and this is how, when things get tough, uh, leaders act. So do you trust leadership is probably the single best question you can ask, and, and depending on the answer to that question, we'll tell you really how healthy the culture is ultimately. Mm -hmm. I think the other one, though, is this concept of consistency. We'll talk about pervasiveness. You know, uh, there's a story of um, somebody asked a janitor at NASA, what's your job here? And he uh, responded, my job is to put someone on the moon. Mm -hmm. And that, that concept of that cascading it down, um, do, you know, does everyone consistently understand and apply um, whatever your values or principles are? That's probably the next measure. If they can't repeat it or when no one's looking, they don't act in that way, then you really have a obviously a distribution or cascading penetration uh, issue there. But I think those are some ways to think about it. But ultimately, I'd say um, leadership trust um, 
is one, and then the consistent application when really when the content when no one's looking, you know, like that's that's how to think about it. Those are tough to measure for sure, and I think that's the to back to Megan's point around like you could do a survey. Do I trust you? They don't even trust the survey. So like you know, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're like you're tracing my IP. You know, you know exactly. Like so, like you could survey all day long, and yeah. you know. But. Usually, JT his approach is um, look them dead in the eye. Do you trust me? Because <laughs> that gets always the honest yeah, exactly. response. Yeah, Everyone totally. loves that intense New Yorker stare <laughs> at someone that always elicits nothing we're, but we're honesty. Not kidding, by do the way. that on the first, that do that on the first day yeah. with it's a new usually hire. Like thirty days in, just just to. Oh, well, that's one way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I do not recommend that for any successful culture testing. It's totally true. Oh. Well, guys, I mean, this has been great. I, I want to give our, our listeners an opportunity to connect with you guys, uh, whether that's on social media yeah. or with Drip as a company. Uh, Megan, you want to try to tell them how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. So check out our website, uh, www.drip.com. And I think, you know, from a, a careers um, page standpoint, um, check us out for opportunities. Um, we're always looking to add, obviously, uh, top talent, um, whether it's here in Minneapolis or whether it's in Salt Lake, um, we've got opportunities. Um, the other thing, just for me personally, you know, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know about you, JT. No, LinkedIn. Yep. <laughs> That's my social media totally drug of choice. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a lot about culture. You know, talking about some takeaways that our listeners can have, what can they take back to to their business and implement and, and make a difference there? What are some things that you guys are doing at Drip that you would consider maybe rituals or traditions? Yeah, so I think um, first and foremost, uh, you know, when we talk about culture, it's about customer first, and we've you've heard that today, I think, consistently. Um, and so for us, it's all about rituals that that bring back um, and remind our team of the customers that we're serving. And so a couple things that we do that I think is pretty. Um, uh, pretty awesome, uh, is we do every week, um, we pull all 110 employees together on Tuesday, um, over lunch and, and bring in lunch and we do what's called Tuesday teardown. And so that event in and of itself, um, every single employee in the company participates in that. And it's all about, um, what, what started is, uh, this whole concept of deep appreciation of customer problems. And so our, uh, customer success team brings in a customer and really kind of what we say tears them down. So uh, really looks at from the beginning of their um, journey with us to today and you know what are the results, what are the problems that we solve for them and or where do we have opportunities that we could have done better or you know um, you know issues and or um, what, what we talk about are from a playbook standpoint, how did that play out with this customer and we learn about um, you know how do we make it better the next time basically. Um, and the cool thing about that is is that it opens up an opportunity for any employee in the organization, no matter what function, what your role is, to ask questions. Um, and so not only is it giving our, our team members um, exposure to the customer problems that we're actually solving firsthand but it, and the results that, that, that we're driving for that, but it's also giving them an opportunity to learn about like how fundamentally our product works, um, which I think, you know, you know, my people, my people team, you know, we don't sit on um, the front line with customers. We don't sit in with engineering and doing the coding, you know, like we just don't engage in that level. And so this is a weekly reminder of um, the work in the business and the, the foundation of the, the product that we that we have. So that's one example of customer first. The other, um, another one that we do is every Friday um, we have what's called weekly wins and we wrap the day with it and it's at 4.30. It's usually happy hour based, um, which is nice. Um, right. 
Um, and and really the, the fundamental kind of reason behind weekly wins is, again, we bring back the customer. So um, JT usually uh, MCs it. It's about, you know, what did we get, uh, what did we get in the door this week from a customer um, standpoint? Um, how much revenue are we uh, attributing through our product, which is pretty phenomenal? Um, and then we actually share who the customers are and what their products are. And, you know, in the world of e-commerce, some of that stuff is pretty crazy and yeah. fun. Um, and so we talk about that and, and um, learn about the actual customers and, and what are the products that they're that they're selling. Um, so that's weekly wins. And then the other piece of that is it's an opportunity to do shout outs and recognize employees. And so it doesn't matter again what level um, you know what the impact was that these employees had, but you know just recognizing your coworkers and recognizing um, the work that's going on. And, and we zoom it um, to Salt Lake City and back and forth so that it's a company wide event. The other thing that we do um, that's kind of you know in a in a startup world uh, around customer service um, and kind of frontline customer success is um, we do ticket smashes and so ticket smash in our world is um, you know the customer tickets that are coming in the the problems that our um, CS team is is solving uh, frontlines we actually open it up to any employee in the organization to be able to participate mm-hmm. and literally smash tickets and so um, I did my first one here just recently the last quarter we do we do these on a, a quarter basis but it's you know you you can pair with a, a, a customer success individual and really sit down and actually learn about how the tickets come in how they're you know whether it's via chat or whether it's via email um, you know how how we service them like the language that we use um, the how to actually solve issues whether it's billing issues I mean like I wouldn't normally deal with that right but it just gives uh, us not only appreciation for um, customer problems but also appreciation for for our customer service team that are the front lines and, and representing and, and servicing our most important uh, asset, our customers. So um, I think that uh, those are just a few examples um, that we do from a, a regular cadence standpoint that is all about the customers, um, but it's also about building community in, in our um, team as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a point, I guess, from your perspective as a company grows when some of these rituals or traditions become harder to do and because people value those things and when a company grows to a certain size i think people feel like some of that stuff's going away and it affects affects them somehow um is there an employee count is there you know because there's probably people going through that right now where they're kind of feeling that shift yeah i think uh so there's a couple things so just even that concept of having two locations and all of a sudden what becomes you know happy hour central time is now you know, more middle of the day, Salt Lake Mountain time. <laughs> Do so they like, complain about that? <laughs> they're not complaining, but I don't know if that's necessarily the best for getting a full weekend. But right. but those, I think, sometimes so there's two things. I think there's, as you expand, um, particularly with geographies, all of a sudden time zones become a logistical challenge. So maybe weekly wins doesn't continue uh, if we were in multiple time zones or I've known of companies where they start having you know, European offices. So all of a sudden you start to have some neutral time across all. So uh, maybe those shift, but, you know, the spirit. I think the bigger danger is, you know, the finance, uh, you know, not to be not to be uh, stereotyping here, but somebody comes in and says, this is a very expensive lunch, not just from the food you're bringing in, but you have a hundred of people coming in every week to either build relationships with each other or to, you know, talk about customer problems. That's an expensive lunch. 
And then you start getting down this kind of rabbit hole of dollars and cents, but you miss the bigger picture. And I think that's probably the bigger issue when you get to 500 people. Somebody starts, some spreadsheet jockey starts doing the math on that. And then somebody says, you know, that this is really a costly meeting. And I think that's when these small startups lose their specialness. And I think the maintenance of those rituals that are both... Uh, have a value, you know, whether it's reinforcing the culture and or just what makes these companies different than other companies. I think when you lose that and, you know, is is that's when you cross over. That's when you jump the shark, I think, as a startup. Um, so I think it's up to the leaders to commit to the consistent application, maybe not identical application, but the consistency of keeping that spirit alive, um, uh, you know, as companies grow. So I think that's that's the key thing is not to lose sight of that. Um, in the name of something which might be more short-sighted, like right. dollars and cents. Megan, do you have any advice for listeners who have ideas that they maybe want to bring to their CEO? Um, maybe they're afraid to or don't know how to. How do you present ideas that you have to JT? Yeah. Um, so I put it in a PowerPoint present. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it's it's uh, building, you know, we talked about trust earlier. Um, and and I think it's even more important uh, between uh, the CEO and, and head of people, head of HR, um, to have that fundamental trust because, um, you know, we disagree like the best of them um, and can talk through things uh, and, and uh, and, and I think, so just having enough, uh, what I would say, um, courage to bring the ideas forward and, um, they may get, you know, uh, turned down, but yet at the same time, if you don't bring it forward, um, nothing, you know, moves forward. And so what's that? <laughs> so I, I think the best ideas are the ones that there's a groundswell on. And so when you see small groups of people already doing concepts, and then we want to make them broader. Those are the ones that, because that shows that grassroots. So, like we have concepts. Um, so, I think when there's, I think the danger is something top down. A, because it's top down, and B, it's like, do people really, you know, really want to do this? And so, like, we're going to do this program of X, Y, Z, and then you know, you cascade it down, and then you know, you do it for a couple of weeks or sessions, and then it trails off. And after ninety days, we're like, oh, whatever happened to that? Uh, yeah. But the flip is when you see something that is organically occurring and then you're just trying to amplify it. So like there's this concept we have um, organically created book clubs in certain departments. Uh, our sales team has a book club. Our marketing team has a book club. And what they do is they uh, they self-assign. Like I don't even know that. They have an amazing reading list. I'm not even aware of this, what goes on. Um, but they assign a own book and then they talk about it amongst themselves. Now we're like, okay, maybe we should have a broader book club. That's an example of an idea that... Um, as a CEO, like all you're doing is like giving gasoline to something that already has an ignition at some level versus mm -hmm. we're going to do some program, we're going to roll it out and then it just lands flat and we don't have consistent, right. pers you know, persistent um, uh, resource dedication to it. So that's, that's what I look for when ideas are brought to me. Okay. It's like, is this somebody's idea or is this actually something that's already occurring in the organization? Mm -hmm. Awesome. It's such a pleasure. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad we were all able to get together today. John, really cool. JT, sorry. Really cool um, to have a CEO be represented on our podcast. I hope that as other HR um, listeners, you know, hear this podcast and hear the insights that you were able to provide today, that maybe they might be inspired if they're invited um, to also include their CEO in the future. So really appreciate it. And obviously also too as well, Megan. So 
Thank you, thank you. Um, so thanks to our listeners for um, tuning in again for our second episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening to this podcast now. Also, while you are subscribing, be sure to leave us a rating and also provide us some feedback in the comments. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, your CEO. Help us get the podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have suggestions for show topics or people that you would like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsherm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout and you will receive $20 off your membership. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next episode. Thank you.